March Madness is in full swing and the action hasn't disappointed. We got the final four this upcoming week and the DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of action. Bet $1 on any tournament game and if your team wins, you win $100. It's that simple. Turning $1 into $100 is 100 to 1 odds. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and that team is winning their next game. There's no better way to put your basketball, college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with the DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings is secure, safe, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choice pulls off the win. That's code TBPN to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 and older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 100Gambler or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Ladies and gentlemen, basketball fans across the world, welcome to another edition of the Basketball Podcast, the number one basketball history podcast on the Basketball Podcast Network. And we're number one because we're the only one. Jeremy Brenner here, the CEO of Basketball Nostalgia, here today. And this week, it's Chicago Bulls Basketball Week. Derek Rose is the topic of discussion this week, and I have two guests that are the perfect people to talk Derrick Rose era of Chicago Bulls basketball. They are the co-hosts of the Sharpshooters podcast here on the Basketball Podcast Network. Please uh, give me a round of applause. I'll do it myself for uh, David (laughs) Schuster and Mark Schanowski. Guys, thank you so much for coming on to talk Derrick Rose with me. And how are you two doing today? We're great, Jeremy. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, Jeremy, good to be with you. Obviously, Derrick Rose has always been a pol- polarizing topic here in Chicago. Some fans love him. Some people feel like you know he, he underachieved or, or left under a, a cloud of uh, personal conduct suspicion. So it's a great topic to talk about and one that I think will be talked about long after Derrick hangs him up for good. Exactly. And, you know, Derrick Rose gave the Bulls a sense that they could contend for the playoffs and beyond. And really, it hasn't been like that for the Bulls since Derrick Rose has been there, except for what they did last week at the NBA trade deadline, going all in, trading for Nikola Vucevic in a blockbuster trade with the Orlando Magic. That was, I think, probably the shocker of deadline day. And before we get into Derrick Rose, I do want to get a quick reaction from you guys. And obviously, you guys talked about it on your most recent episode of the podcast. So uh, feel free to just give a quick, like, quick little debrief of the Vooch trade and why the Bulls are going to exceed, succeed or maybe not succeed with uh, Vooch in the lineup. I'll lead off, Jeremy, and and Mark and I both discussed this on our podcast just a couple of days ago, but anytime you can get an all-star center um, and not give up that much, at least player personnel-wise, I mean, obviously, what Orlando's getting back is two future first-round picks, and if the Bulls are any good and they get into the playoffs now this season, and certainly more so down the road, 
those will be mid to late first round picks. So that's a gamble that you have to take when you're able to get a front line um, all-star caliber center. And, and Vucevic, listen, he does it all. As we talked about on our podcast, averaging 25 points, 12 rebounds, led the magic in just about every category possible. You know, I think his best years are still in front of him. And it's, it's a way to start building a nucleus, not only around um, Zach Levine and, and uh, Patrick Williams, but, you know, Billy Donovan and, and uh, 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 Arturis Karnishevis. I think they're building something here in Chicago. And like I said, when you have a chance to get an all-star center, and I'm a big believer that basketball is still a big man sport, um, you have to take that opportunity, and that's exactly what they did. I don't think Orlando is going to really like this in the long run. Wendell Carter Jr. is 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 sort of a tweener. He's not really a center in, in today's NBA. He doesn't shoot well from the outside. He's not big enough to play the position. He's not, you know, obviously talented enough to play the four. And, you know, again, those two draft picks – and Otto Porter Jr., I don't even know if he's going to stay on, on Orlando's team. You know, he's just stealing money, to be honest with you, because he's made so much money while being injured during his whole career. And I'll, I'll let Mark pick it up from there. Yeah, we've been hearing all along, ever since Arturis Karnischewicz came to Chicago, that he was very methodical, very deliberate in his decision-making. We well, can throw all that out the window because he made a bold move. He swung for the fences. He got a two-time All-Star. And as you know, Jeremy, these first-round drafts are like gold for NBA executives. They don't toss those things around lightly. To include two first-round draft picks in the deal for Vucevic is pretty pretty aggressive. You know, obviously, Zach Levine was looking for some help. He made his first All-Star appearance a short time ago. And the idea of having two guys who can score 20 points plus a game, who can run pick and roll, who can really be a dynamic uh, attacking element of their offense is going to really help the Bulls. But the fact that he was able to turn over the roster as quickly as he did says a lot about what he thought about the, the current roster that he inherited. And he obviously decided that they had no chance to contend with that group. And I, I give him kudos for quickly deciding after a half a season, I got to make some changes. And boy, did he make some changes. You know, it's amazing what can happen in just one year's time. If you look at the Bulls like pre-pandemic, they were looking as if they were, you know, they weren't even invited to the bubble. Like they were not on anyone's radar of being a potential contender. And you look a year later and, and they look to be on the up and coming. And I'm really excited to see what the Bulls have to bring this uh, last third of the season, if you will. But kind of switching gears here, we're going to rewind back to 2008 here. 13 years ago now since the Bulls were able to draft Derrick Rose. And it's interesting because the Bulls in 07, 08, they weren't, they didn't have the best odds to go and get the number one pick. They weren't one of the worst teams in the league. In fact, the year before they were coming off of a Eastern conference semifinals appearance. But the fact, like, I just want to get you to your two's reaction, the two of y'all's reaction to when you realize the Bulls were going to pick number one overall. And at that point, we knew Derrick Rose is going to be number one. And for Derrick Rose, a Chicago native to come back home, what, do, what were y'all's thoughts when you saw the ping pong balls go Chicago's way? Well, personally, I was happy because I'm a basketball junkie and the better talent you can get, the better it's going to be for junkies like myself being a reporter on top of it to you know enjoy going to the games and doing your job. Believe it or not, there was actually a little bit of debate if the Bulls were really going to, I mean, not, there was no doubt in my mind they were going to take Derrick Rose, but, you know, Michael Beasley was the other possibility, and he went number two. And, 
<laughs> Michael Beasley is not was never going to be on Mike on uh, Derek Rose's plateau. And and actually, the, the most memorable thing that I've seen Michael Beasley and he had talent. Don't get me wrong, but he didn't really know how to apply it. The most famous thing I've seen Michael Beasley in his NBA career, while you know covering a game at the at the United Center, I saw him eat a cheeseburger that was like the size of a brontosaurus burger about 45 minutes before a game. Mark, that might be one of my memories for our next podcast, by the way. (laughs) Michael Beasley ate the most giant hamburger that was sort of sliding down his face 45 minutes before a game. And I'll tell you what, I was getting nauseous just looking at it. But, uh, I mean, Derrick Rose was obviously going to be the pick by the Bulls. I mean, John Paxson, you know, tried to hide it, but there was no way. He was a Chicago legend coming out of Simeon High School, two-time state champion. And I covered a lot of his high school career. You know, he was the MVP of his senior year when they won their second straight title. He only scored two points in the game, and he dominated that game. But only scoring two points, if you can believe that. Uh, An incredible talent. And, and I was just so happy because I knew what, what his future would be um, as long as he could stay away from injury. And I'm sure we'll talk about that as we go on. Mm-hmm. Well, Jer- Jeremy, David knows John Paxson very well, as do I. And Pax is always kind of this guy that always kind of anticipates the worst. I don't want to say he's a heavy downer, but he does look at things a little bit negatively. I believe they had a 1.8% chance to win the first pick. And he wasn't even watching the lottery. He had one of his kids had to scream that you jumped into the top three and then he finally got interested. But Pax was assuming that they would stay, you know, where they were. I think they were the ninth uh, worst team that year and they jumped into the top three and NBA Entertainment did that great feature behind the scenes with Derrick Rose watching the telecast and he couldn't believe it that he was going to get a chance to start his NBA career in his hometown. He was beyond gleeful about that thing turning out the way it did. And it looked like the perfect story. And for a number of years, it was the perfect story, of course, until he got hurt. And uh, we'll cover that later in the podcast. Yeah, so the Chicago Bulls had a 1.7% chance to land that number one pick. 17 of those ping pong balls had a Chicago Bull on them out of 1,000. And since then, only one time has those odds been matched. And that was by Cleveland in 2014. And they drafted Andrew Wiggins, uh, who they ended up trading for Kevin Love. But... So, like, it almost feels like it was meant to be. Derrick yeah. Rose was meant to play with the Chicago Bulls because the odds were so improbable for the Bulls to land that number one pick. Derrick Rose was almost certainly going to be that number one pick, and he lands there. And not only that, but it almost felt like they like the Bulls needed a point guard, and he was, like, a perfect fit. You know, out of that, out of that 2008 class, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of – I guess guys that could go out. I mean, there was Russell Westbrook and there was Derrick Rose, but other than that, there wasn't really like too many superstars come out of that draft. And I think we saw like at one point during their careers, that was, that guy was Derrick Rose, who was going to be the dude to come out of this, that out of this 2008 class. And he showed it right away in that rookie year. So in that rookie year, is there like a special memory that you guys have of rookie Derrick Rose, like, breaking onto the scene and just, you know, realizing that this was your new franchise guy? Well, he was obviously the rookie of the year. I mean, uh, rookie of the year and then followed up very quickly, not too long down the road as the MVP, the youngest MVP in in, uh, NBA history. And um, we'll talk about that as well. You know, I don't remember much like my, uh, unlike I should say Michael Jordan, I, you know, I saw like instant God in, in Michael Jordan, probably in his third game, I don't recall something like that with Derrick Rose as much. 
But I do know, remember, as the season wore on, he got better and better. I think he started off pretty hot, and then he slumped, if I remember, like uh, after the calendar year changed, January, February. But then he became like gangbusters in the month of March. I think he wrapped up the, uh, the rookie of the year in that month and then, you know, continued into April and actually even uh, into uh, beyond that. So I don't remember, unlike, you know, maybe Mark will remember a certain game where he just did something fantastic. Listen, he did a lot of things fantastic. And it wasn't only on the offensive end of the court, Jeremy. There were a lot of times where Derek would run down guys who had breakaway layups and slap the ball off the backboard from behind that only somebody with the talent of a Michael Jordan or a Derrick Rose could do. And, and that brought people out of, out of their chairs at, at the game. So, you know, he, he was just incredible right off the bat. The thing that stood out for me is that he was not going to be denied going to the rim. I mean, there were so many poster dunks he had his rookie year. He would go in against the big man and just finish over the top with some amazing dunks that you wouldn't believe a guy that was listed at 6'3", probably a little bit shorter than that, was able to accomplish. Um, that's like when I watch John Morant now in Memphis, it kind of reminds me of a young Derek, the way he's able mm -hmm. to just explode off the floor and finish over the top of guys that are six, seven, eight inches taller than he is. But the one thing that stands out, I remember – it was kind of an uh, interesting coaching staff that Derek came into the league with. Vinny Del Negro, who had no experience as an NBA head coach, he was a, a commentator at that time. He was in his first year as, as the head coach, and they, they decided since Vinny had no experience, they'd bring in a couple of veterans to help him out. Bernie Bicker's staff was one. Del Harris was another. And I had covered Del Harris when I worked in Milwaukee. He was the head coach of the Bucks, And I remember uh, I pulled Del aside after one of the first practices in training camp. And I said, so what do you think of the kid? He goes, yeah, I've seen, I've seen all the greats in the, in the, in this league over my long time. He goes, this kid is special. He's the real deal. And so I was pretty excited about what we were going to see. And we found out very early in his rookie year, he was going to live up to his billing. He was going to be something special as the number one pick in Chicago. Yeah. So, you know, even now in 2021, I think when people think of the Chicago Bulls, they think of Michael Jordan. And I don't think that's, you know, a down, like, I don't think it's a, a, like, I don't think it's a mark against anyone else. I don't think it's a mark against Derrick Rose or anyone like that. But is it difficult for Bull, the Bulls to at least, not just Bulls stars, but Bulls teams in this era as well, to kind of, you know, shake that off because they're not like, because it's really hard to get on that level of what Michael did in the nineties, it, it will probably never be topped again. So is it difficult for these teams to kind of shake off any kind of those comparisons? Are there those comparisons? Yeah, there, of course they're worth of those comparisons. I think as time goes on, it probably lessens more and more all the time. It's interesting though, because Derek Rose was a huge fan of, of Michael Jordan. And he mm -hmm. said, even when he was a little kid that he, you know, would ask for permission you know, to stay up late and watch Bulls games with his, you know, mother and, and the rest of the family. But, you know, and, and and I think Mark will attest to this as well. Derrick Rose, you know, was the next closest thing after Michael Jordan that made me as a fan, much less a reporter, really go, oh, my God, what did I just see? Or, you know, get out of my seat and just, like, you know, have my jaw drop to the ground. He did things, like Mark said, I mean, it's amazing some of the jams that he did over people much bigger than him 
one-handed jams. I mean, they would do alley-oops to a 6-2 guard behind, you know, the big timber on the front lane of, you know, of the opposition team, and he would go over all of them. So, I mean, Michael, uh, excuse me, Derek Rose just did things that, you know, made a lot of people remember what Michael Jordan did, you know, in a previous uh, generation. And yeah, the answer to your question, Jeremy, I think as time goes on, I don't think the Bulls of nowadays really have to measure up. Although Zach Levine is asked constantly about Michael Jordan, and he says, yeah, it was a big fan of his also. But nowadays, these players are, well, they grew up more with LeBron than they did with Michael Jordan. Yeah. But Derek, Derek Rose grew up with Michael Jordan, so that was his guy, and he came pretty close to living up to that stature. Yeah, Jerry Krause thought that he was going to quickly rebuild the team after they broke up the dynasty team, thinking that I've got cap space and Chicago has this winning tradition and everyone's going to want to come and play here. Well, some of the biggest stars of that era were scared off by the uh, sh large shadow cast by Michael Jordan's legacy. They went out, tried to recruit Grant Hill and Tim Duncan and Tracy McGrady in 2000 when they had all kinds of cap space. And those guys wanted no part of trying to follow the Jordan legacy. And we heard that repeatedly the guys were kind of scared off the only guy who wasn't afraid of that was Kobe Bryant Kobe Bryant uh, would, talked openly on two different occasions about possibly coming to Chicago and I think he would have been fine trying to carry on the mantle of Jordan uh, Derek didn't really say much about taking Michael Jordan's place you know the big statue was there in the United Center and there was no way anybody was going to be able to accomplish the things that Michael Jordan did in a Bulls uniform I don't think Derek was either uh, afraid of it or it was something that really motivated him I think he just realized that if he was going to play in Chicago that was always going to be there yeah so I mean the one thing that I remember specifically about this um this year this rookie year was maybe game one of that playoff series against the Celtics I remember as a kid watching this I, I remember it was the first game of the playoffs Derrick Rose's seven seeded the Bulls, you know, he was like that rising up and coming and the Celtics who just won the NBA championship the year before. It was one of the, I guess, high profile matchups going to that playoff series and or that playoff run that first round. And I remember as a kid, like, I remember exactly where I, I think I was like, like a restaurant. I, I coming home from a soccer game I was maybe 10, 11 years old. And Derrick Rose had, it was his first playoff game. And, 30 was it 36 36 and 11 in overtime win on the road against the defending champions i think for me that was the moment when i realized derrick rose is a little bit more than just the number one overall pick well you know jeremy like i said you know in his rookie season he got better and better as the year went on his mm -hmm. his month of march and then into april and obviously you know he continued that into the postseason against boston and you know it sort of even then reminded me well wait a second didn't that other guy, Michael Jordan, after, you know, being out for such a long stretch of time, the year that he broke his foot Parallels. against, yeah, there was a parallel. He goes against Boston. Now he, re, he, he turned the 36 around and scored 63 for what it's <laughs> worth. But yeah, Derek, Derek was really a special player and you could just feel him blossoming more and more. And even though they lost that series in seven games to the Celtics, it just gave fans of Chicago a feeling like this team is on the come, on the rise. And, um, you know, maybe if he didn't end up having that knee injury, eventually maybe they would have gotten over the hump. I don't know. LeBron was still down in Miami, and that was going to be an impediment no matter what. Yeah. yeah, Derek was not really a prolific scorer in high school or college. He like got more satisfaction out of setting up his teammates. But in that situation you mentioned, game one against the Celtics, he literally took that game over. 
And at the time, matched Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record for the most points scored in a playoff debut. So, yeah, it was remarkable. The whole series was so much fun to watch and definitely stamped the Bulls as a team that was going to be a contender in the Eastern Conference in the short term. I mean, now look at this. We've mentioned, obviously, arguably with Michael Jordan, uh, there's the parallel there. And then he matched the career high of Kareem. And I'll be honest, those are my one and two all time. Those are the two best players of all time. So that is, that's where Derrick Rose is starting at year one. So you can see kind of where things are at and how things are going. And there, there has to be this sense of excitement, especially now in the year two, he's made his first all-star team. The, the bulls are, you know, I think, but it also kind of felt like, and I don't know, it felt like this for me, obviously you two have a better, uh, better touch on the team, but it kind of felt like Derek was kind of, he didn't have a whole lot of help. He was kind of just doing it, you know, kind of on his own. And he was able to take them, you know, to the playoffs on his own. That was like, he was a floor riser, I guess you could call a floor raiser. And he was able to get them to the playoffs again in year two. Is that kind of how it was those first two years before they were able to cash in free agency in 2010? Or was it, did he like, who out of his co-stars was also, part of that solution if you will well mark will probably have a better uh, semblance of of that second year what the roster was but to me uh, just remember it was like what again a parallel to jordan i mean jordan was great in his first couple of, michael jordan was more athletic when the bulls were really horrible his first three or four years mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden you started surrounding him by with players and you could just fill the building and building and building. And listen, the Bulls had to overcome the Pistons. It took them three tries to finally do it. And you just had that same feeling that it was going to be the same way with Derrick Rose, that eventually, as you surrounded him with more and more talent, that he would be able to get over the hump with help of his teammates. Unfortunately, that never really happened. They won some playoff series, but never were able to get to the top of the mountain. And unfortunately, his injuries certainly uh, stalled that for sure. But I mean, you, you could just see him getting better and better and better as, you know, the history showed. Well, the Bulls had some good young players on that first, on the team during Derek's rookie year. They had uh, Luol Tang and Joakim Noah, who would eventually emerge into all-star players when Tom Thibodeau came in to coach the team. Ben Gordon was a prolific scorer on that squad. He had some monster games against the Celtics in that playoff series. But Gordon left the Bulls after 09 to sign a free agent deal with the Pistons. And you mentioned the All-Star game, Derek's first appearance in uh, in the winter of, of 2010. I covered that game down in the, uh, the Jerry Jones football stadium, which was kind of surreal, seeing a basketball game being played on this elevated court in mm-hmm. a football stadium. But the, the talk of that All-Star weekend was – where are all these great free agents going to go? As you remember back then, it was LeBron James, it was Dwayne Wade, it was Chris Bosh, it was Amari Stoudemire, Joe Johnson, and all these players were in Dallas uh, and openly being recruited by some of the big stars of the game. And as it turned out, Derek wanted no part of trying to recruit people. When free agency opened in July of 2010, the Bulls were considered to be one of the favorites, if not the favorite, to get LeBron James. But then Pat Riley outdid everybody by getting the the cap space to bring in three big-time max free agents in LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. And and the Bulls were left with, you know, they got some talent in Carlos Boozer and some bench players, but not nearly what they had anticipated going into free agency. So Derek kind of set the tone that he didn't want to recruit. He was happy with his teammates, and he could carry the team on his own, which – 
turned out to be not the case and ultimately led to, you know, him, him getting hurt and, and, and suffering a lot of disappointment in his later years in Chicago. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget about that 2010, you know, free agency race and how how much of a player there were a lot of players for LeBron that year, not just LeBron, but it was the Nets, the Knicks, the Lakers, obviously, the Clippers, and the Bulls also. And I think a lot of the reason why the Bulls were in that conversation is because what Derrick Rose had done in the yeah. year and a half of his career up into that point. And, you know, had Derrick Rose and, you know, maybe also, you know, he's a second year player. He's, you know, maybe 21 ish, 22. I, I personally, I wouldn't, if I'm a first or second year player in the NBA, I don't feel like I have the pull to go and just say, Hey, LeBron, come play for me. Even if, even if I am Derek Rose and I'm doing all of these things just in my second year in the league. But do you think had Derek Rose recruited different guys, do you think that this might have ended up a little bit differently? I think it could um, help. I don't think there's any question about it because I think LeBron was waiting for Derek to call him during 2010 free agency. Now, Dwayne Wade and LeBron had kind of been cooking up this thing since the 08 Olympics about playing together. And, you know, there was a lot of different things in motion. People thought it was, you know, in, in revisionist history, people are thinking, well, those guys were always going to go to Miami. It was always going to be the three of them. I think if Derek would have gotten involved early in the process, he might have been able to, to change that. I, I could be wrong, but that's that's kind of my gut feeling on it. I'm not so sure, honestly. I think it was a little bit more preordained. That's my feeling, but I don't know that for a fact. The other thing is that Derek Rose, if you know his personality, he's not the most um, – oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, especially, wow. Yeah, especially when he was younger. I mean, he was, he was very close to the vest. I couldn't see him really, you know um, – beating the path to get other people, especially back then, maybe as he got more mature and felt, you know, his oats more. So, you know, being in the league three, four, five, six, seven years in the league, maybe he would have taken that approach. But early on in his career, he just didn't seem to have that as part of his personality. Well, David, remember in 2014, he didn't go to the dinner with Carmelo Anthony either. So that's true. It just was something he didn't feel comfortable doing. And a player of that stature, I think almost it's part of your job description. I mean, you're the face of the franchise. And, and you know, when Derek is done playing, he may look back on all this and think, especially if he never is part of a title team, I wish I would have done some things differently early in my career. Yeah, because obviously I think Derek Rose, and we'll discuss this more in, in tomorrow's episode part two, but I think that there is a little bit, obviously there's a lot of regret with Derek Rose in his career. I think, I think bulls fans feel a little bit of regret. I think the bulls organization feels a little bit of regret and I'm sure, you know, Derek Rose probably has a, a regret or two. I didn't realize that this was going to be one of those. I was, I always, I, cause I also think when you think of Derek Rose, unfortunately you don't see, I, I feel like he's not as remembered for his, play on the court as much as he is remembered for what could have been. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I guess. Well, first of all, the, the, the final chapter has not been written just yet. So we can't say for sure 10, 15, 20 years down the road, looking back on it, how he will be perceived, but obviously he was a rookie of the year. He's the youngest MVP in league history. And you got to remember something, Jeremy and, and Mark will uh, test this also. 
I don't think there's ever been an MVP who has never uh, gone to the Hall of Fame. And there's a real good chance that could happen with Derek because of what happened with his knee injuries and, and subsequent years after that. That's going to be really an interesting question down the road. Um, but I'll always remember, it. you know, maybe I'm very jaded about this because I saw this kid play basketball when he was 15, 16 years old. And I saw an incredible talent even then. And, and I saw that continue in his one year at Memphis and then before he got injured. You know, he just did some incredible things. And even after all those injuries, and he had more than one knee surgery, let's not forget that. He had, he had an MCL that we'll talk about also down the road on his, on his other knee too. He has come back ever since then and still has been more than a functional player. I mean, he scored 50 points while he was in Minnesota one game. You know, so he, he's still an incredible talent. Unfortunately, he'll, he'll probably most be remembered, very unfortunately, for all his injuries. Yeah, for all the greatness of Derrick Rose, for all the highlights he provided in a Bulls uniform, unfortunately, I think when we look back on his career, we'll always think of what might have been that he not suffered those serious knee injuries. Yeah. I think that last little segment is a good way to stop for now and the segue into what we're going to be talking about on tomorrow's episode. So David, Mark, thank you so much for coming on to the Passwell podcast today. Sit right there because we're about to record part two, but feel free to drop any links that you guys are working on, any Twitter handles. The floor is yours, my friends. No, I mean, obviously, uh, you set it up at the top. We're doing a podcast for the Basketball Podcast Network, as are you. It's called Sharpshooters. We'd like for people to check it out weekly. And I'm also doing a podcast with uh, the Bulls TV analyst, Stacey King, called Gimme the Hot Sauce. So check that out if you get a chance. Absolutely. And be sure to follow the Basketball Podcast Network on Twitter and Instagram at HoopsPodNet. You can also follow Basketball on Twitter at Basketball. That's P-A-S-T-K-E-T, Ball. And we are also sponsored by DraftKings. So be sure to use the promo code TBPN for any for when you register for the DraftKings Sportsbook. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Basketball. And until next time, rewind and be kind.